for joining us on another episode of the Key Life Fellowship Men's Bible Study Podcast, taught by Pastor Kirk Hall. We pray that through this podcast that you would grow your grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. At this time, please open your Bibles and follow along as the Holy Spirit unveils God's truths to your heart. Amen. You guys go ahead and open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. We're jumping into lesson 9 tonight. Give you a little recap of where we left off. We read Ephesians chapter 2, the first three verses. We looked at a lesson titled, The Awful Condition of Carnal Man. Now, I told you guys that we're going to look at this, and then we're just going to kind of leave you hanging to the next lesson. And In this lesson, we're going to see what's next. But we talked about the awful condition of carnal man. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 says this about all of us. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. And so we talked about these four elements, these four points in that last lesson. I'll bring you up to speed so that we can jump in tonight headlong. But we saw that man is spiritually dead. We must see that. In order for us to truly appreciate the sovereign grace of God, we must see our spiritual condition. We are all spiritually dead, totally depraved, no spiritual life in us at all. Not only did we realize in studying the last lesson that we're spiritually dead, we also saw that we are satanically driven. We're spiritually dead because of sin, because we inherited a nature from Adam. And also we are spiritually dead because we are satanically driven. Apart from Christ, many people don't like to embrace this doctrine, this teaching. It upsets them. Uh, You are led and mastered by Satan and by sin. And so we see the truth of that and looked at the truth of that in that lesson. And then we saw that man is sinfully depraved, that there's nothing good in and of us at all. We're going to see that that's very important in what we're going to get into in the next few verses, that we understand that. Because, men, when you understand total depravity, that we are totally sinful apart from Jesus Christ, when the grace of God sweeps in, it will literally knock you to the ground in awe and in worship of God and His grace. And so we see that man is sinfully depraved, and then we saw that man is suitably doomed. The wrath uh, that is upon us, it's suitable. We deserve it. Uh, There is no unbeliever here, no unbeliever in this room, that if you die in your unbelief and you die in your sin, won't deserve to go to hell for all eternity. You're suitably doomed. The wrath of God will be upon you forever. Now, if Ephesians stopped there, we're in a world of hurt. In fact, we're in a world of hurt for all eternity. But thankfully, Ephesians doesn't stop there. We get to what we're going to look at tonight. We'll be looking tonight at the amazing graces of God. That is not a typo. I want you to see the graces of God in this. Many of us think that we have a good grasp on God's grace But in this section, Paul's going to give us a little deeper understanding. He's going to teach us and enlighten us to the depths of the Lord's grace by reminding us all of the graces that have been gifted to every believer. 
So instead of making grace a separate category, as we often do, from God's love or God's mercy or God's kindness, etc., 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 what we're going to do today is we're going to see that all of these elements that we're going to talk about are individual gifts of God's grace given to those that He has chosen to exercise His sovereign grace upon. What I mean by that is these elements that we're going to look at are all of grace. When we talk about God's love, it is because it is a grace. When we talk about God's forgiveness, it is because it is a grace. His mercy is a grace. And so I want you to see that, and I believe we will see that in this context of this passage. I want you to see that clearly. To see that not only have we received grace, but in every element of salvation, in our relationship to God, we receive graces. I'm going to cover that tonight. Augustine asked this question, what is grace? That which is freely given, he says. Then he asks the next question, what is freely given? He answers that question, given, not paid. If it was due, he says, wages would be given. You would be earning a wage, he says, but grace would not be bestowed. Many people think that the graces of God are somehow earned, that they are wages. For instance, when we get to God's love in a moment, many people think that they earn God's love by doing X, Y, or Z. When we talk about His mercy, many people think that you earn the grace of mercy by doing X, Y, or Z. That you are exalted as a son, adopted into the kingdom of God, because you've done X, Y, and Z, so on and so forth. I want us to see today that the Apostle Paul teaches us that that is not so. That all that we receive from God, every ounce of everything that we receive from God, is a grace from God. It is a gift. He is not bound to us. He does not have to do anything for us. He owes us nothing. Yet, we're going to see the richness of His grace tonight. Let's look at verse 4. And I'll just go ahead and tell you this. After last time's lesson, when you realized the awful condition of man, it's okay when you get to the graces of God that you're amazed by them. He says in verse 4, but, whew, anybody thankful for that one little small word? But, because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Who is he talking to? Let me remind you who the us he is referring to truly are. Remember verse 1 of chapter 1. To the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. We learned it there. That he's talking to the saints. We learned that in Ephesus is not found in the oldest manuscripts. And so we can apply this to the saints abroad, the saints throughout the ages. He's writing to God's chosen and beloved people. He's letting us know this. 
And because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. He says, it is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Let us look at the graces of God together tonight, and let us be overwhelmed by them. The first thing that we see is God's grace of love. Verse 4, but because of his great love for us. God's love. If you're taking notes, write this down. It's God's undeserved love. None of you in this room deserved to be loved by God. Why? Because Scripture says God hates the evil doers. It makes many people uncomfortable because your grandma told you that God loves the sinner and hates the sin. Unfortunately, the Bible contradicts your grandmother, therefore making your grandmother incorrect. God is adamantly opposed to the unbeliever. He is adamantly opposed to the wicked. When he sets his affection upon his chosen children, it is undeserved. You don't deserve the love of God. In fact, it is grotesque to even think that you could ever deserve the love of God. Romans chapter 5, verse 6. Paul says this, You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Man, I want us to all think on that for just a moment. The grace of God's love. He did not have to love us. Yet He chose to love us. In spite of us. 1 John chapter 4, verse 10. The Apostle John says this, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Not that we love God. For you folks who think that all you have to do is love God and He'll love you in return, it doesn't work like that. In fact, you don't have the capacity to love God because in your human state, you love sin. You love wickedness. Is that not what happened when Jesus came to this earth? Light came into the world? Men would not come into the light. Why? Because they love their sin. So if you're in Christ here today and you're loved by God, let me just tell you this. It's an undeserved love. Don't you ever forget that. Don't you ever take that for granted? God did not have to set his affection upon you, yet he chose to. And I know what the question is. It's the same question that I ask over and over and over again. Why? There is no answer to that question that my human mind can even begin to comprehend other than that love from God is a grace from God. It's undeserved. 
Not only is it undeserved, it's unique. It is a unique love that he has for his children. It's beyond God's general benevolent love for mankind. It's common grace. It's a deep, affectionate love for his own. It's no different than you loving your children with a deeper love than you love the neighbor's children down the road. God has a unique love for his children. This is his saving affection that he lavishes on his own. First John says this in chapter 3, verse 1, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us. He lavished it on us. Did he wait until we got everything right? Did we join the church? Did we were baptized? Did we were attending Bible study, even men's Bible study on a Thursday night? No, he lavished it on us by his grace set his affection on us before the foundations of the earth. He said that we should be called children of God. Whose decision was this? God's. I'm not a child of God because I decided to be. I'm a child of God because he lavished the grace of his love upon me. He goes on and he says, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. What is he saying there? He hasn't lavished his love upon the unbelieving world. He has lavished his love upon his chosen children. It's a unique love. It's that saving affection that he literally dumps upon us, so undeserved and so unique. John 15 in his gospel, John says this in verse 13, greater love has no one than this. Then he laid down his life for his friends. He says to his disciples, you are my friends if you do what I command I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me. Pay attention to this. But I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the father will give you whatever you ask in my name. What is he saying here? He's saying that you're my friend. Not because... You set your mind on me, but because I set my mind on you. You are my friend in a unique love that I have lavished upon my own. It's undeserved love. It's unique love, but it's also unchanging love. I love to read about God's unchanging love. In fact, 34 times in the Psalms, that's not including anywhere else in the Old Testament or the New Testament, but 34 times in the Psalms, a psalmist writes this, his love endures forever. Anyone here thankful that God's grace of love endures forever? What does that mean? He's never going to stop loving me. Why? Because he's already set his affection upon me. And those he sets his affection upon, he loves with an enduring, forever love. Let that grab you this evening. That if God has lavished his love upon you, he will never, for all eternity, withhold that love from you. God has chosen to love us. Though we be so undeserving. Well, I am the most undeserving. Yet I know what Scripture says is true. That God has gifted me with His grace of love. Well, for a moment, ponder this, that He could have withheld that from any of us. 
we've all openly admitted already. We don't deserve it. He could have withheld it from every single one of us. But yet, he chose to lavish it upon us. Well, I'm thankful tonight that he has not withheld the grace of his love from us. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this. He said, there is nothing comparable to the grace of God, to the way he looks upon us and upon this world in spite of what we've done and gives us these promises. We have no claim upon the love of God. We have forfeited it. Salvation is all of grace. Even when we had forfeited the general love of God for humanity our entire lives, He still, because of His sovereign will and plan, set His love upon His own that He would lavish them with the grace of His love. We look secondly tonight, leaving God's grace of love and moving into God's grace of mercy. Verse 4 says, but because of His great love for us, God, who's doing the work? Say it with me, class. God. God, who is rich in mercy. Oh, where would we be if God was not rich in His mercy? Where would we be without His mercy? We must never forget, mercy is not earned. Mercy is not merited. Mercy is given. In fact, in Romans chapter 9, verse 15, it says this. For he says to Moses, I have mercy on whom I have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. Does he not have the right? He is God. Goes on to say, it does not therefore depend on man's desire or effort, but on God's mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, I raised you up for this very purpose that I might display my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Therefore, God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy and he hardens whom he wants to harden. If God has showered you with the grace of his mercy tonight, know this, that that same God could have chosen to harden you at any moment in time. Does he not have the express right as the potter and we as the clay? Yes. It's exactly what Romans chapter 9 is teaching us. And so when we look at this, we have to understand the grace of his mercy. So many act as if, preach as if, study the scriptures as if, somehow God owes everyone mercy. Can I tell you what God owes everyone? Exactly what we saw in the verses preceding this. Wrath and judgment. That's what he owes every man. Why? Because every man has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Yet, he has graced many with his mercy. If you have received mercy from God this evening, rejoice! Because he's chosen to give you that mercy. This is when people say, well, that, that makes you an arrogant Calvinist. No, it doesn't. It makes me fall on my face and say, God, why would you ever give me mercy? Why would you ever grace me with the mercy that you have graced me with? Look at this. We see this mercy. It reflects his nature. We saw in our lesson prior 
And man is deserving of wrath. Rightfully so. We also know this from Scripture that God is a God of wrath. And if God was only a God of wrath, we would all be in trouble. But He's also a God of mercy. And this mercy, this grace of His mercy that we're looking at here, reflects His nature. Look at Micah, the prophet, as he says this in Micah 7, verse 18. Who is a God like you, who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of His inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. I'm thankful to God today that He has delighted to show mercy to me, His undeserving child, who deserved no love, who deserved no mercy, who deserves none of His graces. But yet in His nature, He chooses to place His mercy upon those He chooses to place His mercy upon for His glory. It's a mercy that reflects His nature, but it's also a mercy that regenerates the spiritually dead. None of you here today would be regenerated, born again. None of you would have experienced new life in Christ had He not shown His mercy upon you. Jesus' mercy regenerates the sinner. John's Gospel, chapter 5, verse 21. Jesus says this, For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom He is pleased to give it. Oh, don't you dare say that you receive mercy because you ran to God. You must biblically say this, I received mercy because Christ chose to give me mercy. It is a grace. All of His graces are gifts. He has graced us. Those of us in Christ, those of us who have been regenerated with His mercy. Regeneration is all grace. There's nothing that you do, no act that you perform, no deed that you commit, no ordinance that you follow. It's not your own work, the work of regeneration but it is a work of God's grace of mercy. In fact, in John chapter 1, verse 12, he says this, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Verse 13, pay attention to it. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. It is God who rebirths us through His grace of mercy. He did not have to do that. He chose to do that in Christ. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13 says this, When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. When you were dead, He showed you mercy. Well, fall on your face tonight and thank God for His mercy in a different way. It wasn't that you ran to God of your own accord seeking mercy. You were not. No man seeks Him. You were reveling in your sin. You were following Satan. And God shines His mercy upon you. 
regenerating you by the power of the Holy Spirit to new life, just as John chapter 3 explains, just as Jesus explained to Nicodemus. It's a mercy that regenerates. It's a mercy that redeems. Not only does it reflect his nature, regenerate the spiritually dead, it's a mercy that redeems the ungodly sinner. All of you men here tonight, you are redeemed, not because you walked an aisle, you prayed a prayer, you made a decision, you filled out a card, you jumped in a baptistry, you became a church member. All those things have their place. But you're redeemed here tonight because of the grace of God's mercy that he has shined upon you in Christ, and that alone. Titus chapter 3, verse 5, says this, he saved us not because of righteous things we had done, just in case you didn't believe what I just said. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. There's the grace of his mercy working. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. There we have regeneration and the mercy of God working hand in hand together as one of God's graces to his own. The mercy that redeems the ungodly sinner. First Peter chapter 2, verse 9. He says this, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. And how did this come to be? Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And how did we receive the grace of his mercy? Romans chapter 9. We go back there. What did he say? He told us that God will have mercy on whom he decides to have mercy. Why is this important that we understand this? So that we see mercy as a grace, not mercy as a payment for something we have done. God had mercy on me because I prayed a prayer. God had mercy on me because I walked an aisle. God had mercy on me because I this. God had mercy on me because of that. No, God had mercy on you because of God. Period. It's grace. Mercy is a grace, and don't ever forget that. This is where so many people get confused. When they read that they're saved by grace, they think that grace is just this thing all by itself. No, grace has many elements. One of them, God's mercy. He is gracious with Christ Jesus. And that mercy redeems ungodly sinners. I can't speak for you, but I can speak for me, and I can say this, that uh, I'm thankful tonight that God has graced this wretched, ungodly sinner with his mercy. Because it were it not for the mercy of God, I would remain in my state of condemnation because of sin, and I would spend eternity condemned in hell under the wrath of God. But he has chosen not to withhold his mercy and to pass the believer by. He has chosen to lavish his love and his mercy upon them. We see God's grace of mercy. Let's move on to God's grace of exaltation. Look at verse 6. Verse 6 says this. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ 
Jesus. Now, wait a second, Kirk. This is too good to be true. You're telling me that in our last lesson, we deserve nothing but the wrath of God. We were suitably doomed because we were spiritually dead, we were satanically driven, we were sinfully depraved, and now you're telling me that we are exalted with Christ? Yes, that's exactly what I'm telling you. His his exaltation of the believer is another one of his graces that he has extended to us. Read it again. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Your position has changed in Christ. You who were sinfully depraved and satanically driven, suitably doomed under the wrath and judgment of God, God in his love and his mercy has exalted you to a new position, seated with Christ. Wow. I know. That's strange to hear in all of the unbiblical teachings of today, but you just read it with me in the pages of Scripture. Just as He has graced us with love and graced us with mercy, mercy, He has exalted us. This is a preordained exaltation. God chose to do this before the foundations of the earth, before you could do anything good or before you could do anything bad, just as He says about Jacob and Esau, before the twins did anything. I chose Jacob over Esau. He chose to exalt you before the foundations of the earth. Romans chapter 8, verse 29, says this, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son. Well, did we not just read there in verse 6 that we have been exalted positionally with Christ? He says God predestined that, that you would be conformed to the likeness of his Son that he, Christ, might be the firstborn among many brethren. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. There's no need to really go back and teach this again. If you were in our Roman study, you got a lot of this. Let me remind you of this one simple fact. All of that is written in the past tense in the original Greek language. Meaning this, it's done. It has been done. It was done before the foundations of the earth. God's grace is exalted. It is the grace of his exaltation, that preordained exaltation that allows us to be seated with Christ in the heavenly realm. God predestined because he foreknew all who were his own that they would conform to Christ. All the way to glorification. Ephesians chapter 1, we just left it not too long ago. Remember what the apostle said there in verse 4? For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. I have people all the time, I don't believe in predestination. You might want to read it again. You might want to read it again. You might want to read it over another time. You might want to try to get out an eraser and try to erase it if you don't like it so much. He says, verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin, in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Not in accordance with our decision, not in accordance with our will, in accordance with the riches of God's grace. 
that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding, and he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. God's preordained will was to exalt those whom the Father had given to Christ. And that is exactly what Paul is saying here when he tells us that, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. It's a preordained exaltation, but it's also a positional exaltation. God's graced us by exalting us from our lowly, sinful position. We could all agree with that. Couldn't we in the last lesson? Yep, that describes me to a T. If you've not yet realized that that describes you to a T, you're not yet saved. I don't make any apologies for that statement. My prayer for you is that you realize tonight that you are in desperate need of the graces of God through the Lord Jesus Christ. My prayer for you is that he would shower upon you, lavish upon you his love and his mercy, that you would be exalted. It's a positional exaltation. Can you believe that? He moves us positionally from sinners to saints. Is that not what the Bible teaches us over and over and over again? To the saints? How could he even refer to me as a saint? Oh, I must have gotten something right along the way for him to now refer to me positionally as a saint. Or he's graced me with that exaltation. And I deserved it not at all. Yet it is what I have received because it is according to the preordained will and plan of God. He has moved me from sinner to saint, from a servant of Satan to a son of God. Pay attention to that. Adopted into his family, Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4, speaking on this issue, says this in verse 4. But when the time had fully come, God said in a son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive the full rights of son. Because you are sons, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. Wait a second. Kurt, do you mean to tell me that the same people that he was talking about in verses 1 through 3 have by the sovereign graces of God been transformed from slaves to sin and slaves to Satan to now sons with full rights and heirs and joint heirs with Christ. Yes, that is exactly what I'm telling you. Now the gospel is really good news, isn't it? That's the good news of the gospel. It's all grace. This exaltation that we see here as a grace of God is a preordained, a positional, and a permanent exaltation. Now, you've been raised with Christ. Can I tell you this, friend? If you're in Christ, that is where you will stay because it's He who did the raising and He who promises your security in that position that He has placed you. God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realm. It doesn't say until we mess up. Until we blow it, boy, wouldn't we all be in trouble? 
Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. There it is again. Since then, since your position has changed, set your heart on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Why? That's positioning where you belong now because of his grace of exaltation. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. You say, wait a second, where did I die? If you're in Christ, you died at the cross. You died with Christ, you were buried with Christ, and you rose again with Christ. When he ascended, you were positionally exalted with Christ. Your position is permanently there in the throne room of God where you will worship him for all eternity. See his grace of exaltation tonight and be overwhelmed by that. God has exalted all who believe to this position of sonship. You've been adopted. This exaltation is all of God's grace. Oh, don't think for a second that God had to change our position and our status. He could have left us right where we were. Isn't that what he does with those in Romans chapter 1 who suppress the truth by their ungodliness? It says there three different times, God gave them over, God gave them over, God gave them over. If you are in Christ today, be thankful that he did not give you over. You deserve to be given over. But instead of giving you over, he has exalted you. What a grace that we see there of exaltation. And then we move to verse 7. We might be able to get them all in tonight, man. We move to verse 7. It says, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Now, does everyone receive his kindness? That's not what it says there. It is those who are in Christ Jesus who receive the grace of his kindness. Again, deeper than just the common grace that the world sees. This is affectionate kindness from God to his own children. He shows this kindness in regenerating us, leading us to repentance and faith. In fact, Romans chapter 2, we know this. In verse 4, it says that God's kindness leads us toward repentance. Without the grace of God's kindness, there would be no repentance. We would still be lost. So we owe it all to him. Just as the hymn says. Do you feel that in your life? Do you sense that in your life? Do you live that in your life? That you were forever indebted to the kindness of God that he did not have to show toward you. Because had he not expressed his kindness to you, you would still be lost. You would still be in your unbelief. Why? Because it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. You would still be in your unbelief. You would still be in your sin. He has graced us with the grace of his kindness, a kindness that he decided. He, uh, see, see the emphasis there in verse 7. It says, in order that in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness. It's he who has shown his undeserved grace of kindness those of us who are in Christ. Not our decision, but His. Oh, when we think about that, for just a moment, 
how kind the Lord is in sparing us the wrath that we deserve, the hell that we deserve. Yet Scripture is true. It says that He has graced us with His kindness. The kindness that He decided to give. Nothing influenced that decision. It was a decision made in the wise counsel of a triune God in eternity past. I want you to think how big our God is. In eternity past, God chose to show His kindness to Kirk Hall and to lead me to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. What a big God we serve because of His grace. His kindness displayed. Watch what it says next. That He might show the incomparable riches of His grace. He showing the incomparable riches. Kindness decided by God. Kindness displayed by God. This is His kindness to those who are in Christ. And it's shown to reveal and display the riches of His glory. In fact, Romans speaks on this as well in chapter 9. Pay attention, if you would, if we would drop down. Verse 22, it says, What if God, choosing to show His wrath and to make His power known, bore with great patience the objects of His wrath, prepared for destruction? He says, God has prepared some for wrath and destruction. Verse 23, what if he did this to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy, whom he prepared in advance for glory? Is that not what God has done? Of course it is. Every believing man in this room today must say this, that unless God had been kind to me in Christ, I would get the very wrath that verse 3 says that I deserve. Is that not true, man? Of course, we know that it's all true. If you are a believer here today, the very Holy Spirit who lives in you bears witness to that. It's because of the grace of His kindness that He has expressed so that He would receive glory, that He might show the incomparable riches of His Grace. One day we will worship Him for all eternity because of the incomparable riches of His grace. There will be no one standing around the throne, on their face around the throne, with an attitude that says, I deserve to be here. Because that person won't be there. It is that person who bows their face to the ground in humility. It says, woe is me, for I am a sinner. I am unworthy to even be in the presence of God and were it not for the grace of His kindness. He would have destroyed me. I would have spent an eternity in hell separated from any of His goodness only to face His wrath and His justice forever. Well, see the grace of His kindness that has been displayed to show us the incomparable riches of that grace. And it is His kindness delivered that we must also see, He says, to us in Christ. Now pay attention to that. To those who are not in Christ, 
cannot acknowledge the grace of His kindness. Those of us who are in Christ know that we owe everything to that grace. That the greatest act of kindness that the world has ever seen is our kind God graciously offering up His only begotten Son to redeem undeserving sinners from sin. What an act of kindness. And who did He do this for? Those who are in Christ Jesus. It is in Christ alone that we receive the grace of God's kindness. Don't take that for granted. Outside of Christ, we remain objects of God's indignation and wrath, and rightfully so. But in Christ, no longer are we objects of His indignation and wrath, but we are objects of the grace of God's kindness. He's expressed this on all who have believed. He could have expressed His indignation. He could have expressed His wrath. I often wonder, why did He not in my life? Why did he not? Why did he not just go ahead and end it and grant to me the hell that I deserve? Why did he not? Why did he not take me out of this world? I deserved it. Many would say, there, old preacher, don't be so hard on yourself. I'm not being hard on myself. I'm being honest with myself. It's high time men of God be honest with themselves so that they can learn to appreciate the grace of God's kindness. He expressed it. In Christ. Therefore, were it not for the grace of God's kindness, I can tell you where this sinner would be. I would suffer the wrath that I deserve in hell for all eternity, but God has been kind to me. Well, I know, again, he poses that question. Why would he do that? Because it's who he is. I'm not going to question who he is, and I'm not going to try to figure him out. My mind cannot comprehend the depths of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. What I will do, I will see the clear things of Scripture that God has been kind to me. I will thank Him for that, and I will spend the rest of my days on this earth living for Him because of His kindness to me. Fifthly, we leave God's grace of kindness and move to God's grace of justification. Look in verse 8. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. I want us to see that our justification, the fact that we are saved, is the grace of God. It is a believing justification. Look what he says there, through faith. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. Now, where does faith come from? He tells us, it's a gift. He has graced us. With faith. The requirement that God gave in the Old Testament, the just shall live by what? Faith. He has given to us who are in Christ. Why? So that we meet the requirement that we would by faith trust in Jesus Christ and be justified. Not by our own works, not by the works of the law, but by faith in Christ and that alone. Romans chapter 3, verse 21. But now righteousness from God apart from the law has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. Verse 22. This righteousness comes from God through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His 
grace. Through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. He's going to be just and he is going to be and is justifier of those who have faith in Christ. It is a believing justification through faith in Christ and that alone. If God would have not graced us with believing, saving faith, not a man in this room would be saved. Oh, you could have all the intellectual head knowledge of Jesus that a man could hold in your little small pea brain and still not be saved. Because that saving faith that justifies is a gift. It is a grace. It's believing justification, but it's also benevolent justification. What does that mean? It's a gift. Verse 8 makes it very clear. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. That's why I can say salvation, justification, is a gift from God by grace. Therefore, it is the grace of justification that we are looking at here. It's benevolent. He gave it to us. Faith is a gift. Grace is a gift. We are justified by faith. Therefore, our justification is a gift from God. I told you, it's all grace. That's why I'm saying tonight and talking to you tonight about the amazing graces of God. Where would we be without any of them? We would be lost and undone in our sin. It's a benevolent justification, but it's also a boast-free justification. As we look at the grace of justification, understand it's boast-free. Why did Paul include that? Why did he include so that no one can boast? He knew himself. He had spent most of his life boasting about all of his accomplishments. In fact, he actually does that in Scripture. He lists for us all the things that he could boast about. But then he says, all of these things are rubbish. They're nothing. Oh, don't you know that he used to spend his time polishing his trophies, looking at all his accolades, patting himself on the back in his own self-righteousness? Yet in Christ, he comes to this conclusion, this justification that we have, this grace of justification is boast-free. We can't boast about it, not in and of ourselves. We can't take credit for it. We can't brag on ourselves in regard to it. Why? Because we're justified by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. If we're going to boast, just as Paul said, let us boast in Christ and in Christ alone. I'm not sure what part of alone so many people have trouble with. Right? When you say it is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and then the people say, but. <laughs> but what? There is no but. We are justified by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Justification is a grace that came from God the Father through Jesus Christ the Son. Don't ever forget that. We're justified by the faith that He gives us. Or we would still be in a state of condemnation. Don't take that for granted. You believe today because He has allowed you to believe. He could have left you right where you were. God was in no way obligated to justify any sinner. Yet he has graced 
those who are in Christ with justification. What does that mean? Just as we learned in our Roman study, that we have been declared righteous. Wait a second, Kirk. You told me back in verse 3 that we were objects of wrath. Yes, we were. We all were. Those of us who are in Christ now, we are justified, declared righteous in the presence of a holy God because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and His imputed righteousness that has been given to us. That's what it means when it says that He who had no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Oh, let us be thankful for the grace of justification here tonight. And lastly, we are going to make it. Maybe. Lastly, we see that God's grace of sanctification. Verse 10, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. It's interesting that God can prepare good works in advance for us to do, but he can't prepare in advance for us to be saved in so many people's minds. Sanctification, just like justification, is a grace. Don't forget it. What does sanctified mean? It means, what does it mean? It means to be set apart. If you're saved, then you're set apart. And who did the setting apart? Who set you apart from the world? Did you wake up one day and say, you know what? I don't think I want to be a part of the world any longer. You just jump ship. No, your positional sanctification is a grace of God. He did this. He set you apart from the world so that he may display good works through you that bring him glory as you are being sanctified according to his will. A believer is set apart. How does he say? By God's handiwork. You're set apart by God. Who did the setting apart? God. Who does the work in you? God. So many times, people may not stoop so low as to take credit for salvation. But many times they will take credit for sanctification. But it's Jesus himself who said this, apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Nothing. You can do nothing that will bring glory to God apart from Jesus Christ. Sanctification is a grace. Well, don't you dare take credit for the work that you see that God has done in you. It nauseates me to hear people say this. When I got my life right, when I turned things around, when I decided to take a new path, if your salvation testimony includes the word I, you're missing it. You don't understand it. You're not biblical in your approach. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourself. It's the gift of God. Why? So that no one can boast. And then he goes on to say, in verse 10, again, let me remind you that you are God's handiwork. God's handiwork. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Set apart by God, God's handiwork. It is the work of God that sets you apart and distinguishes you from your old selves and the old world that you used to live in. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, a verse you all know. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Why? 
If your answer is anything other than because God has graciously placed you in Christ, your answer is wrong. You're in error. You need to repent of that error tonight. Get on your face and thank God for the grace of sanctification and the grace of justification and the grace of His kindness and His mercy and His love and His exaltation that you don't deserve. See, His grace, sanctification, sets us apart by God's handiwork. We're set apart because we're in Christ. It's Christ who has rescued us. All of this, any good work in you, any change that has occurred in you, any real change, was all accomplished through the finished work of Christ at Calvary. Why is it important so that we understand that? So that we don't try to take credit for it. So that we say every day, thank you, Lord, for, for any good in me that anyone sees is you and not me. Because I know what Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3 says about me. But I'm so thankful that verses 4 through 10 talks a lot about your grace and the graces that you have bestowed upon me. One of those graces being the fact that you have set me apart from the world and from sin. Not because of anything that I have done or anything that I could do, but because of Christ. What a gracious gift we have in Christ. We are sanctified from our old lives and sanctified from the old world. Did you know this is an answer to Christ's very own prayer that we see him pray in John chapter 17. In John 17, the Lord prays for the believers and he says, sanctify them. Sanctify them by truth. Your word is truth. Oh, I'm thankful for the day that I heard the truth. I'm not talking about with my physical ears. I'm talking about from the depths of my soul where God quickened me to hear the truth of the gospel. He allowed me the faith to believe, and he set me apart by his grace. Don't forget that, man. We're set apart because of Christ. Even 2,000 years ago in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed that we would be set apart. If you are set apart today, you are sanctified. It is not because of you. It is because of Christ. He deserves all glory. Which brings us to the last and the third part of that. Looking at God's grace of sanctification, we're set apart by God, His handiwork. We're set apart because of Christ, those of us who are in Christ. We're set apart to bring God glory. He prepared these works in advance for us to do that we would bring Him glory, that we would be restored back to our intended purpose. Is that not the chief end of man? To glorify God and to enjoy Him forever? He could not enjoy him forever in our sinful state. He could not bring him glory in our sinful state. But he has set us apart that we would be restored to our original purpose. And this is God's predetermined plan. The good works that accompany your salvation were planned in advance so that God would receive glory from your life. Now, you just last week learned that you were a vessel of God's wrath. Oh, the change that Christ brings. Now in Christ, you are a vessel of God's glory. In fact, remember what he said in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. 
For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. That's his will. Why? That we would bring him glory through our good works, through our changed lives, through the grace of sanctification that he has given us. Had God not graciously sanctified us, we could never bring him glory. We could never do any works but the works of the flesh, which are all flawed by sin. And he could have left us right there. Each and every one of us. He could have left us right there in our old works, in our flesh, in our sin, with no fruitful works of righteousness that are required for those who have been set apart. But yet, he didn't. He didn't. He rescued us and set us apart. That we may do the things that he prepared in advance for us to do. Oh, when we realize the depths of God's calling upon our lives as believers, we realize the depths of His grace in ensuring that all of that comes to pass, His preordained sovereign will, we can't help but be amazed by the graces of God. Can we be blown away by that? Is it okay to lose all the tough guy in the room tonight? Because I know there's a lot of it here. Some of you guys are so tough, I can't hardly stand it. May we be humbled tonight. Humbled by the graces of our amazing God. To know that he was not obligated to do anything for us. According to his will, by his design, he has graced us with so many things in Christ. Oh, may the next time that we hear we are saved by grace, may grace not be just this separate category that we speak of as if we know something. May we see that everything that we receive from God is grace. May we remember the graces that we have spoken of tonight, the grace of his love, the grace of his mercy, the grace of his exaltation, the grace of his kindness, the grace of his justification, and the grace of his sanctification. And may we be amazed by the graces of God. Soli Deo Gloria. Let's pray together. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come to you now thanking you so much for your grace. Lord, we thank you for each individual grace that we have seen tonight that has been poured out and lavished upon us, where would we be without those graces? Lord, I know that your word declares exactly where we would be lost, held captive by our sin, awaiting damnation and judgment. I'm thankful here tonight that for those of us who are in Christ, that's no longer our status. We are sons of the living God, exalted with Christ. We thank you for that privilege. May we worship you for your grace tonight, the graces that we have seen that have been exorbitantly poured upon our life. May we love you and appreciate you for these things like never before. Thank you, Lord, 
for loving us, for gracing us with so many things, for being kind to us when we don't deserve it, and loving to us when we are unlovable, for showing us your mercy, justifying us when we could not justify ourselves, declaring us righteous and setting us apart for your glory. May we live with every fiber of our being, with every moment of our lives, that your glory would be seen in and through us. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Would you stand to your feet now? Amen. We hope that you have grown through the teaching of God's Word. If you would like to find out more information about Key Life Fellowship, visit our website, keylifefellowship.com, or you can email us at info at keylifefellowship.org. We would love for you to join us in person. Our men's Bible study meets every Thursday night at 7 p.m. here at the Key Life Fellowship campus located in New Caney, Texas. Or feel free to join us at one of our Sunday worship services as well. As we conclude today's lesson, I will leave you with one reminder. Go out and be the light in a lost, dark world.